0: Welcome to Word of Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is 3-10-2021. We are ready to begin our worship service. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this hour that we have with you this evening. We thank you for life, health, and strength. And and as we are here in this world, we thank you for your protection and your guidance. We uh, are here seeking wisdom and knowledge. We're asking for your spirit to teach us, guide and direct us into all truth. Thank you for those who have come, and we pray as we continue that we will have the kind of fellowship that is precious. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.
1: Amen. Amen.
0: Okay, so uh, as you know, we are studying in the book of Romans Chapter 9, we finished with 8, we did the review, we took our time, and um, we have arrived at chapter 9. So we're going to begin to try to take this apart and understand the reasoning that is therein. We'll take our time. There's a lot of Jewish thought here, so we're going to dig in. Um, before we do, we have a few moments for some Q&A. Um, why don't we pause to see if there are any questions out there on the table before we begin.
1: Jared, does
0: anybody have a question? I'd, I'd have to oh, I'd say while they're thinking about it, Dwight, go right ahead with yours.
1: Okay. Um, as, as you and I talked about, Doug, I've been emailing this guy, um, pastor from another church mm-hmm. who did some preaching on Ephesians chapter three, and, uh, we just found him lacking in understanding, mm-hmm. uh, the mystery. Yeah. Um, I think the way we, you know, concluded is that he's just not seeing it. Right. And so you know, the, the approach is with, to help him to see this. And uh, one of the ways I was thinking of um, helping him see this is by going back through the various verses that um, kind of are a, 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 uh, excited in talking about how grand and how, how awesome this mystery is. And he said it was just an unguessed manifestation of the promise made to Abraham. Mm-hmm. Um, the unguessed part being that the Jews and the Gentiles would be co-equal, as he calls it. And it's kind of interesting because he'll, he, he said things like, you know, the church is a nucleation, but he didn't go any further than that. He didn't. You know, go into well, what makes this a brand new creation other than the fact that Jews and Gentiles are co-equals in Christ? He didn't talk about identity. He didn't talk about the baptism. Certainly didn't talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And um, so some of the verses, I, I wrote a response to his email. He wrote, he wrote one. It didn't sound like he was. Um, It didn't sound like it was open for conversation, but it didn't sound like it was closed either. So I I wrote uh, just what came to my head in in regard to the secret and hidden wisdom of God. And uh, I decided not to send it to him because it was just too much. (laughs) I think what I would rather do is just send him the verses that I've been looking at. And I wanted to share this on the call. You see what you think about these, and uh, are these the ones that you would uh, point out to him? Um, would it, you know, I, I think it might be of purpose to him to say that look, it's got to be more than just something unguessed if we're seeing language like this around the mystery. Mm. Here's the couple of verses that I pulled out um, two verses from First Corinthians chapter 2, one in verse 7. Um, You know, we declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. that's NIV. And then the ESV for verse 10 is these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. But the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. And I underlined that God has revealed us through the Holy Spirit. And I underlined uh, even the depth of God, trying to, you know, put some weight on the fact that this might be something more than just a, a question unguessed. Then mm-hmm. um, I touched from Ephesians three eight through ten, and I included ten in that um, in that uh, in that quote. Um, 3 8 through 10 is to me, though I am the very least of all things, this grace was given to preach to the Gentile the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light and make plain for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And I underline unsearchable riches of Christ, and I underline that part about the manifold wisdom of God. Next mm-hmm. one was from Ephesians 3, 17, and 19. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And I underline to know the love of Christ, that you his knowledge, and I underline um, filled with all the fullness of God. And I did a couple of other ones too. If you don't mind my reading, there was one from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Mm-hmm. doxology. Uh, now to him who was able to do far more abundantly. Than all we ask or think, Um, maybe I should put the word guess in there. (laughs) More than we guess, according to the power at work within us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, Amen. Hmm. Um, Colossians chapter one, verse twenty-six and twenty-seven the mystery hidden for the ages and generations but now revealed to his saints to them the to them god chose to make known how great the gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery which is christ in you the hope of glory So that's kind of interesting that i should maybe that one verse by itself Mm -hmm. um because it's saying that the mystery which is christ in you if not, this mystery is the old promise given to Abraham, you know, uh, guess what? The Jews and Gentiles are co equal now. It's more than that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last one, I took one from, from Colossians 2, 2 and 3, that their hearts might be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of all assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Mm-hmm. So, I, I realize that a lot, but um, you know, the, the goal of this email is kind of to take the scale in the other direction. Right now, he's got the weight of an unguessed promise um, to Abraham on one side, weighing everything down and he's saying, I'm going to stick to that statement. So I want to start putting verses on the other side of the scale to show that the language there is much more than just an undefed solution. Hmm. Yeah. What are your
0: thoughts? Well, I'd say you, you covered a lot of good scriptures for sure. However, just... A couple thoughts. Um, well, you should know that he has already read all those scriptures. I, I would not think he has not read those scriptures. Um, so that's the first point. And uh, so if, if you just give him those scriptures and say, hey, have you look at, looked at these? He's going to say in his mind, yeah, I've looked at these. And... and You already know how he thinks about those scriptures, which is, uh, isn't salvation a glorious thing? He basically has relegated those scriptures to this glorious salvation, which God has brought us together. And we don't have to keep the law anymore. um, But that's about it. He doesn't really go beyond that. So. You've already had a back and forth with him already. And his point, to me, is the most glaring point that you could uh, show him would be his uh, error in saying that the mystery is uh, tied to some Old Testament passage to Abraham. I think that's the biggest uh, error. And... um, the point that I would say is to show him is not so much of how fantastic these things are because he's already relegated all that to salvation. But to show him the point that uh, the scriptures say that there is no, it was not revealed under any circumstances. It was not revealed to the sons of men and prophecy or no other form. In fact, if scripture says it was hid in God. So that means angels didn't know about it. Uh, God didn't prophesy about the mystery. It was not even in the heart of man, as the, the verse you mentioned in Colossians where it talks about, uh, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man. As uh, 1 Corinthians two nine, Literally, that's talking about the mystery. It has not been even conceived of because God didn't give it. He didn't even reveal it. And the only way we can know anything about God is if he reveals it. There's no searching God out. You can look up at the stars and you can learn some things about, wow, isn't he powerful? But when it comes to God revealing information about himself, what's in his heart, the only way we could get that is if he reveals it. So the point that you want to make, I'd say, is to show where he has violated, oh, three or four scriptures that say for sure that it's not found in the Old Testament. So if he's saying it's hidden, who's it hidden from? (laughs) you got to say it's hidden from Israel, because that's where, from from Israel is where we got our revelation from God. But that was the revelation of the Mosaic Law. But for him to, for, for Paul to make this point over and over and over again, That this information is not found in the Old Testament. That's literally what Paul is saying. It is not found in the Old Testament. So, if you say it is found in the Old Testament, I think we have a contradiction of uh, this of what you're saying. Well, he
1: he he protects himself. He defends himself by saying the promise made to Abraham is not the mystery where so he said, "Yes, we know about the comment made to him. We I see so,
0: that. So and we shouldn't look that at that.
1: Right? We, we it, should. Um, why are we um, refers, looking at
0: that then? If it's not the mystery, why are we even looking okay. at that in the first place? If it, so, so you see, my point is, yeah. you you're referring me back to an old well, Testament I, I, I see. I see
1: your point. He, I see your point. He's saying that the this unguessed manifestation.
0: Yeah, but so um, so again, is, 1 Corinthians two 9. Says says, it, it was not even in the heart. No eye can see, no ear can hear, neither can it be entered. Was it ever in the heart? There's no way it could even be guessed because it was not revealed. So, and this is not information that pertains to earthly things. This is information that pertains to heavenly things. So how could any human being know this information? It is not about uh, something that was revealed in the past it's not the mystery is not salvation it's, salvation was revealed in the Old Testament so uh, you know I think that's where you have to start you know if you i mean I, listen, I'm not going to tell you what what will work or not work
1: yeah you know no, I, I, no, I really don't I know. That.
0: But I'm, I'm just giving, you know, a point of contention here. Yeah. Because remember, uh, lots of people have the whole Bible. They do. And they have read it. Some people yeah. will tell you, you know how many times I've read the Bible? Right? And, uh, but it does not mean that they understand it. And the only way you get understanding from this is from God, the Holy Spirit. And that's literally what verse, 1 Corinthians 2.10 says. But God has revealed these things to us by means of his spirit. Spirit searches all things even the deep things of God. So you can't search these things out by human means or even previous revelation. For if they would have known this stuff, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory says 1 Corinthians 2, 7 and 8. So this is, this is beyond anything. So, so the question becomes, once you establish that the mystery is not found in the Old Testament, the, the next question should be, then what is the mystery? And Let him, let him stew. Well,
1: I want to, I want to dismantle his, what he's already stated. And, and what he's already stated is that the mystery is not Abraham's promise. So the way he sees it, in his eyes, the the mystery is not revealed in the Old Testament.
0: Well, if he's so, if you, so if what he's is it? Behavior, so what is it then?
1: It is the the manifestation of how the promise was uh, kept.
0: Oh, that's and so
1: that the church being the new creation, and yeah, that's what, that's his argument, though. So. Yes, we see that the promise was made in the Old Testament, but that's, it's not revealed to us in the Old Testament how that's going to happen.
0: Yeah, but see, and, if, if you and what go he back is to relegating if, to... Go ahead, I'm sorry. It,
1: what he is relegating to is just saying that, you know, the, the, the promises in the Old Testament, we have no idea how that, how that is going to be played out. But then in the New Testament, we have this manifestation of the church where the Jews and Gentiles are co equal Whoa, well, nobody would have guessed that. So now it's being revealed
0: for the first time in the New Testament. Yeah, but see, there's another problem that that uncovers, and it uncovers the point that Abraham's, the promise to Abraham was about Israel becoming a nation. God created uh, through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who later became Israel, God had established the nation Israel, and through his through Israel, all the nations will be blessed. That's what God's plan was for Israel. And and ultimately, be, the reason is because the promises relate to Christ, because through uh, Israel comes Christ. So it, it is not it, it, the church is not a consequence of what happened um, with Abraham's promise Israel is the consequence that happens as a result of Abraham's promise and through Israel we get Christ and because Abraham had the gospel to preach to all the nations right? It was, this is how God was going to disseminate the gospel he's going to make Israel a priest nation to all the other nations to lead them to God so, that's what Abraham was talking about.
1: Uh, uh, I like that. I like that a lot.
0: So, he, he can't,
1: so first then, of all... So, that could be two things to go on.
0: Yeah, so if you, if you tell me that the mystery, and you point to some Old Testament passage, automatically, it's a red flag in my head. It says that you have violated, you cannot, you might as well close the Old Testament if you're trying to find a mystery in it. It's not there. Well, not according to Doug. According to very <laughs> exactly. dogmatic. I, I know
1: that. I know that. It, it, I know it sets up a red flag in your mind. Yeah. But I think in, in most um, you know, Christian denominations and, and most churches, it doesn't set up a red flag.
0: Right. Right. They cross. Them, they cross they, that they, boundary. It's a green
1: flag. Hey, this, they, this isn't the mystery that I'm talking about in the Old Testament. This is the problem.
0: Yeah, they, they, they don't mind. The play
1: out.
0: They cross that boundary all the time. That's what they do. And what, yeah. it, it, it's so up to I, us I like. to show them, hey, you've crossed that boundary. right? You, you shouldn't have, but you did. And, you know, of course, if a person admits it and says, oh, <laughs> you got a point there. I think that was the point of me writing that paper about, uh, what was the name of it? What is the mystery? Was... To say the introduction hey, it,
1: it, to the mystery
0: introduction to the mystery yeah so it's not salvation it's not Christ it's not you know the Jews and Gentiles coming together or, or, or it's not the Gentiles getting salvation right? the mystery is not found in the Old Testament Old Testament does he even point this guy even said that Gentiles in the Old Testament would come to 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 uh, believe in christ they would come to the gospel they would see the light of the gospel he understood that so he can't say oh gentiles are being saved that's not a part of the mystery salvation is not part of the mystery at all people have been have been getting saved ever since people have been lost so god has a plan Mm -hmm. so that's one of the ways to show it but the most dogmatic scriptures that are violated on a daily basis are those ones now you can't just quote the scripture you got to tell them where um you know you're referring back to some promise of abraham it couldn't possibly be a promise of abraham couldn't possibly so you have to say it you can't just quote the scripture because he already he already knows the scripture and he has already Mm -hmm. take and so if you quote it for him he's going to say yeah i know what that means I already know what that means. So you have to tell them how the Holy Spirit has shown you what that means, because really that's what Mm -hmm. happened. That's the that's the difference in it right there. So, but you gotta take little bites. You can't (laughs) little bites at a time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All
1: right, thanks, thanks. Uh,
0: Thanks for for uh, for raising that. Did others have comments, thoughts? Yeah, I just had one. This is uh, in regards to
1: when we're about to the study. Maybe I should just wait. But the one question was, so 9 verse 1 is referring to chapter 8, 7? What would you say it's more so referring to?
0: I speak the truth in Christ, I am not lying, my conscience bears me witness and the Holy Spirit. Is that what you're referring to, that verse?
1: Yeah. Is it referring to what he's about to say or what he had already
0: said? It is referring what to what he's about to say. Yeah. Okay. And that's a good question too, Bill. Don't listen. I thought the same thing. I I had to work through that myself. So thanks for asking that because i was going to be honest enough to tell you that yes you have to really think is he talking about the previous you know i mean for what he just said in in romans eight at the end you know life and our death and or anything else and all creation will be able to separate us from the love of god that is in christ jesus our lord yeah. all right and then he says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. Well, you could think, what, you know, is he, he certainly did speak the truth, didn't he? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> he certainly did. And, and this verse could, could go with the previous context. But, um, but if you look at the, the second verse, it kind of clears it up for me. I don't know if it does for you says that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. So what is he talking about then? He's talking about something he's getting ready to uh, lay out for us in chapter 9. So um, in, in chapter 8, it was about we're conquerors, more than conquerors. and and But that's just the last part of it, but there is so much more. And it does relate, as I point out in the notes. Uh, we're still on the same topic, although Paul has shifted gears. So. so we're going we're gonna to talk about that. Okay. But thanks for bringing that out, so we, we don't have to address that question. <laughs> yeah, he, he starts off with a new thought, but same context as well. So why don't we get started? Thanks, thanks for those questions, and comments. We're going to move right into it. Romans chapter nine, verses one and two. I am, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. So these first verses in chapter nine. Um, begin with this thought. So the Apostle is not done with the previous context. Even though he is shifting gears, he is still in the same car and going in the same direction. We are, uh, we, we, we learned about, we should be, we learned about his devotion and love for Israel. He knows them, understands how they think, and shares their emotional lifestyle the evolution that brought Paul to Christ causes him to long for his countrymen to join him even more so what we have to realize is who we are dealing with when we read from the Apostle Paul we're not just talking about somebody who is a fisherman by trade or somebody who is a tax collector by trade. We're talking about somebody who is a religious person by trade. I I would call uh, the Pharisees professional religious people. And they didn't have jobs per se. Like they, they didn't go out and have now I know Paul had a job as a he, he made tents, he worked with his hands, but that was later. But he didn't have time for that as a religious person. He was, this is, this was what he did. You know, kept the law, you know, taught the law. In fact, he said he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. In other words, a teacher of Pharisees. Imagine that. So this is who we're, we're talking about. We're, we're, even though we understand what, Paul, what happened, Paul came to Christ, he understands He wrote some of the most profound scriptures. In Christ there is no Jew, there is no Gentile. He was persecuted, tremendous persecution was brought to his doorstep because he was telling people that they did not have to keep the Mosaic Law anymore. And that angered the Jews to no end. So I'm just trying to set the stage and we're going to get into it. And we'll break it down by phrase just to see what he's talking about and why. So the first thought is, Paul is making a strong appeal to those in Israel. He knows they per- they perceive this new entity, the church. They see it, right? It's, and they know what Paul is saying. It And so f- for Paul to, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. So my thought is, why does he have to say that? And he has often said this. I mean, this is not a, the only place he said it. If you go back and look, there's a lot of scriptures, and I didn't feel like I needed to include them all. You can look them up. Just use your concordance. <clears throat> Where Paul says, I am not lying. I, 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 am, I am telling you the truth. I am speaking the truth in Christ. He goes through this whole thing to say that. And I thought, why does he have to say that? Well, you know, if a person told me that just out of the blue, says, you know, I'm going to tell you the truth right now. It might put me on edge to suspect them of lying. Right? You're really getting ready to tell me the truth. Why do you have to tell me that? Why don't you just tell me? It's because there's a history here. That's why. And this is why I'm trying to lay out to you that Paul was hated by the Jews. So let's get into it a little bit. And, and, and I say it's like almost like Jesus was saying. Jesus said this very frequently. If you look, if you remember your King James Bible, it said something like "Verily, verily, I say unto you." So it's a doubling of this word, and the word basically means truly. But when you say the word twice, "Truly, truly, I say unto you," it really, you know, what is it really trying to say? What is Christ saying? And He says this, and one place I gave you John sixteen twenty, where He says it. Uh, Let me read it, John 1620. There's a couple variations of this. Uh, 1620 says, very truly, it's translated uh, by the NIV. But if you look at the King James, it says, verily, verily, I tell you. So what what does Jesus mean when he says that? I I would say he says basically, sit up, take notice. Uh, I'm getting ready to tell you a point here that you may not have known, it is not commonly known. So sit up, pay attention. And he's not saying, I'm gonna tell you the truth here. He, he always tells the truth. In fact, the Bible says he is the, the way, the truth in the life. He, so he doesn't have to tell us, hey, I'm, what I'm getting ready to tell you is true. What he's saying is, listen up. I'm getting ready to talk to you about something that's important, listen up. It's just a way of teaching. And in other scriptures, he doesn't use a doubling of verily, verily. He just says verily. He says truly, I tell you. Right? And this is just a, a form of teaching that would uh, to get attention. So Paul, trying to get attention, but remember who his audience is. It's Israel. It's Jews. And that's the thought of it. So Galatians one twenty is another one of those places I was telling you about where I didn't look up so many of these verses but here i'll give you one he says uh i assure you before god that what i am writing to you is no lie again paul is when he writes in the back of his mind he always is thinking about the jew now why would he always be thinking about the jew because that is what he was that's his background That's how he thinks. And the things that were uh, tangled up in his mind in terms of his Jewish thinking, he is untangling for us in the scriptures. So, point B, his desire to set the record straight and show how God could seemingly change his plan. Although, it would take many more chapters for the point to be fully made. So when I look at uh, the book of Romans, I mean, we have covered so many chapters that have uh, Paul trying to help us understand Jewish thinking. And really, it's not just trying to help us understand, but help the Jew work through some of the very things that were causing him to trip. So Paul knew what those things were. He knew how they thought about it. Remember, he wasn't just... A Pharisee. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. They sat around all day talking about the law. And it was it was a common thing for them. So he wants to really through Romans set the record straight. He wants to really lay it out. And, and chapter one, two, three, four, five, six. 7, and all, and, and all through 8. And here we are at chapter 9. And in every chapter, Paul dealt with Jewish thinking. It was prominent in his mind. So if Paul was going to understand the gospel, he needed to understand it through the, the problems that the Jews had adopted over all those years. So just like it talked about uh, in Acts when they were getting ready to stone Stephen, and they said, Stephen said, you do always resist the Holy Spirit, just as your forefathers did, so do you. And then they were so angry at him, they killed him. So, but the testimony that he gave was telling about the Jewish nation, how they were always... Uh, insistent upon obeying the Mosaic law and not following the spiritual side of it where they understood salvation. They resisted the Holy Spirit. They wanted to justify themselves before God. So when when, when Stephen came along preaching the gospel, they, they couldn't handle it. So they rushed at him and they... They were gnashing their teeth at them. They were just, it was just, they were angry. So, so this thought, Paul understood. And Paul figured, okay, so this misconception that you could be justified by the law, this misconception that that your, your salvation is something that you have to earn through obedience to the Mosaic law. Gentiles, well, they don't even have the Mosaic law. How could they possibly have salvation? So in Paul's mind, he has to correct all of that. So that's what he sets out to do. That's exactly what he's doing. So every chapter, if you look at it, he deals with this thought. Point number C, I am not lying. So Paul knew how much his countrymen, how his countrymen looked at him, right? He he understood. To them, he was a traitor, a liar, a slanderer. He he slandered the mosaic law. They, that was one of the biggest crimes they thought. Uh, and it is it is. And I say how Paul himself would have thought, or felt. He understood their anger, their frustration. He, he had all of those things himself. So Philippians three three through eight. Let's just read a little bit. Since we have been talking about Paul and his previous, uh, his pre-conversion state, Philippians chapter 3, verses 3 through 8. He says, for it is we who are the circumcision, who, uh, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. So he, this is a play on words, right? Because, really, Paul understands that circumcision doesn't mean anything. Right? So, um, but he p- uses this, talking about we are the circumcision. We, we don't put any confidence in the flesh. right? They do. Circumcised people do. These people, are the ones that Paul is referring to, including himself, do not. So it's a play on words. P- point, uh, Philippians 3, 4. For I, though I myself, have reasons for such confidence... If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. In other words, he's saying and uh, who he was as a Pharisee, he's going to tell you who he was. I don't have to tell you. He's going to tell you. I usually call this Paul's re- his his earthly resume. But let's listen to it. Circumcised on the 8th day of the people of Israel. This is to say that uh you know his parents were studious Jews. They it was they didn't miss a beat, right? They took Paul right, saw right away, got him circumcised right according to the Mosaic law. That's what he's saying of the tribe of Benjamin, which is a prestigious tribe, by the way, a Hebrew of Hebrews. So in regard to the law of Pharisee, now look at that. It doesn't go any higher to that than that. Now this is why I wanted to say for this whole thing right here in verse six, as for zeal. So this is, zeal is the fervor, right, that a person has, the motivation that they have. Now, you could be a Pharisee, but you, a Pharisee, but you may not just have the proper motivation to fulfill all that you should fulfill. But for Paul, this is this is his zeal, persecuting the church. That that's right there. Knowing that Paul is now somebody who uh, has converted, he's telling you how much that he strove for Israel. He fought for Israel. He would kill for Israel. He loved Israel. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. And this, now you have to begin to see the mind of a Pharisee. Somebody who would go to great lengths to keep God's law perfectly. At least that's what they thought. They were faultless. He did everything. What about the rich young ruler? God says, uh, Jesus told him, what must I, he said, what must I do that I may inherit eternal life? Jesus said, you know the law. Now, Jesus told him that because there... The law should have been pointing out to that rich young ruler that he was a sinner and that he needed a savior. It's just what the law law is not something that tells you you're justified. The law is something that tells you you're unrighteous. But yet, what did the rich young ruler say? I've kept all that since I was a child. He's going to say he was faultless. The rich. This person is basically saying, I never committed any sins. So what does Jesus do with that? He says, okay, go sell all that you have and come follow me. So a glaring problem that that rich person had was greed. So Jesus pointed it out. He says, look, sell all your goods, give to the poor, and then you come follow me. So the rich young ruler went away, sad. He didn't really think that Jesus was the Christ. He didn't really understand the gospel or who was standing before him, the creator of all things. He didn't get it. So the mind of a Pharisee is blindness to your faults. You think you're faultless. People who observe the law will be quick to condemn you for not doing the things that they think they are doing. So faultless. Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ. So in this, he's lost all of this. Whatever he said was his gain he considers loss. Now when he says gains, he's talking about all those things that according to the flesh that were in fact gains. If you consider what how this world sees things, they, you, they were all gains. He says they're loss for the sake of Christ. So when Paul says he's not lying, he knew how they thought of him. And he wasn't just writing to convince Gentiles to turn to Christ. He was writing to convince Jews. In fact, if you take some time to read the book of Acts and look at some of what Paul did, he was the apostle to the Gentiles, meaning he was going to go to the Gentiles, but it, wasn't mean, it didn't mean that he only went to the Gentiles. He went to the Jews as well. In fact, he would be in the synagogue quite often. Quite often. So... Point D. Let's view review some of Paul's exploits. In fact, go to Acts nine. Acts chapter nine. We're going to read verses nineteen through thirty. Now go quickly. So, after taking some food, he regained. This is uh, uh, some. You know, this is Saul. He regained some, his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. Right? Now this is not the disciples we know about. Right, This is the, the followers that were there of Jesus. Verse 20. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. There it is. He starts. How, how soon? At once. He goes right to the people he knows. He knows them well. All those that heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? So remember what Paul's mission was by going to Damascus in the first place. It was to to round up those people who were in the church and bring them to Jerusalem and get them tried. And uh, killed, if, even if they had to be killed, uh, that, if, that, if it came to that, fine. That's, that's exactly what his job was. And the people knew it. Yet, verse 22, Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. How, how did he do that? Well, because he understands them very well. In fact, the Gentile couldn't even get into the synagogue to do any teaching or contending with them at all. Then, verse twenty-three: After many days had gone by, this is years even, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. Now, this is this is how bad it got. Imagine that to kill somebody. Now, just imagine you go around talking to people uh, about Christ and the mystery and all the things that we know. And and then people are so angry at you that they want to kill you. I don't mean just hurt you. I mean dead. And so they're planning, how can they kill you because of what you've been talking about the Bible? Literally, that's what was happening. This is how zealous these Jewish people were for the Mosaic Law. They were willing to kill Somebody because of it so verse um, verse 24 but Saul learned of their plan day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. they were looking for him, but his followers took him by the night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall so he escaped right there, he had already he had escaped when he came to Jerusalem. He tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. So could, I mean, was their fear uh, justified? I think so. Here's this person who's spouting out all this hatred and, uh, you know, he, he's murderous threats. And now all of a sudden he wants to come join with you. He's already arrested, uh, you know, uh, he was a part of arresting people, and not only the the men, but the women and children were also arrested. This guy was ruthless. Verse 27, um, or 26, he came to Jerusalem, but they were afraid of him, not believing he was really a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him uh, to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the lord and the lord had spoken to him and how in in damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of jesus so Saul so stayed with them moved about freely in jerusalem speaking boldly the name of the lord so i'm i'm going to stop there but i hopefully hopefully you're getting the point of who this man was and what he was even after he was converted and began preaching about christ they didn't trust him. They said, this man's lying. He's a traitor. Right? He, he, he deserves death. And, in fact, in fact, we should kill him. Point number two. I'm, uh, my conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. So Paul is not only sincere when he says this, but he's saying the Spirit confirms this as well. So he is about to speak to Israel directly and he does not want them to turn away from him, but to him. This is the thought Paul is thinking, I'm going to here set the record straight here. I'm going to lay down the thinking of God as it related to how and why that Israel has been put on hold and that God is now calling out those many sons into glory. Remember, this is the bone of contention. The bone of contention is not about salvation. I know lots of people, and we're going to get to that. We'll, we'll get to that later more. But the bone of contention is not about whether or not you're Calvinist or, uh, or Arminian. That, that's not here. The bone of contention is about Jews and Gentiles in one body. The very thing that that God had called Paul to preach not only this gospel, but the mystery of the gospel. So in this, that is what we're going to be dealing with, right? Do we see anything about Calvinists here? No, we, we haven't seen anything about Calvinists or Arminianists. What we have seen is the Jews' rejection of the church age. I mean, they're the ones that are foreknown. Those are the ones that are predestined and called and chosen and elected and all that. So now all of a sudden, you, you're you're turning from that and saying that it is now Gentiles and Jews in one body forever? How can you say that? And you're saying that once they're in the body of Christ, they're no longer a Jew? The Mosaic Law doesn't apply anymore. They that is what they were angry about. This was this was the whole first century. If you read Acts, that's what was going on. So, what are we dealing with here? Right? Paul is sincere, and he's saying, I'm going to lay it out. I'm going to show you how this works. I'm going to show you why this works. And he's getting ready to talk about it. But he has to uh, bring Israel in. He doesn't want to run them off, wants to bring them to the table so that he can talk to them, just like he has been doing from the day at once. Like it says, at once he went out to the synagogue. Well, why didn't he just at once go out to the Gentiles? No, because he went to those who were his own people. And he felt like that's who he should convince. And, you know, that's who we should do. I know we send missionaries all over the world. I know they learn all these different languages and all this. But really, we have, and I'm not saying that's bad, but I'm saying is God already equipped you to witness to people right around you. And in a lot of those missionary families, there are people right there in their families that probably don't believe in Christ, I bet. Not to say they shouldn't go help other countries, but what my point is, is to say that we have to first go to the people we know best. And if we go to those people and they reject us, well, then so be it. But those are the people who speak our language. Those are the people who know us well. And those are the people who you know how they think. You understand them. So first. Not to say it's the easiest thing to do, or, or that in some way ingratiates you so that they will have to believe in you. It, it doesn't guarantee any of that. It just guarantees that you have an open door with them. So the, those, that's the first way to think about it. Okay, so so that's the, he's going to speak directly to them. We're going to get to all of that. Point B, he loves them. He wants them to be saved. The Romans 10.1 says that very thing, basically. Romans 10.1 says, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. That's what he wanted for them. He knew that, look how close they were to being sons of God. Those who were conformed to the very image of Christ. Those who, in the church age. Look how close these people were. It was just believing in Christ that kept them from enjoying this new life in Christ. If anybody is in Christ, he is a new creation. He loved them. He wanted them to be saved. That's the key. That's what he. That you, there's no harm in what Paul wanted for these people. It was not only love in his heart, and yet. It was hatred and anger in their hearts toward him. Point C, the spirit works in our consciousness. This is something we can learn. The spirit works in our consciousness and would rebuke Paul if he were not honest about the discourse ahead. And that's what he's, he's going to, he's trying to help them set the stage. He's trying to set the stage so that it would help them give him a hearing. So, is he lying about it? Is he being facetious? Is he uh, is he a hypocrite That's inside, his inside is inside as some motive on the outside is another motive? No, none of that is true about the apostle. He's saying, "Listen, I'm telling you, this my conscience is clean." And just because your conscience is clear does not mean you're right. But he, when it comes to this uh, about Paul's motives. He's telling you, I have a clear conscience. And Holy Spirit is not rebuking him at all. Point D, Paul knows his own story well. It was the same path Israel is following. Because he was Israel prior. First Timothy, we'll just look at this real quick. You, you know these scriptures. First Timothy 1, 12 through 16. He says, I thank Christ." Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was, I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. I was shown mercy because I acted, notice, in ignorance and unbelief. Ignorance is not a bad word. I know we call people ignorant. I don't people ignorant but I've here I've heard people call people ignorant but they don't mean that oh you just don't know no they mean they mean you're stupid that's what when they say you're ignorant but but the way Paul is saying here he says I acted in ignorance I just didn't know and unbelief he just did not he refused to believe and he he's telling you what he was prior to his conversion. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full, of, full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy so that in me the worst sinners Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example of those uh, for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Paul saying it doesn't get any worse than him. And yet, God abundantly poured out his grace upon him and converted him and brought him into this love and faith and understanding of the way. So this is part of Paul's experience and how grateful he was. He says in another place, I am not even, I'm the least of all saints, not even fit to be called an apostle, but God put him in the service. I mean, imagine that. Point number three, that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. So, uh, to Bill's point, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unseeking, unceasing anguish in my heart. So he said all of that to set the stage for what he is going to say going forward. Point A, knowing the Jewish mind the way Paul does, it haunts him that he cannot convince his countrymen of this glorious gospel. I, I would imagine Paul thought that what he knew, he could convert all of Israel. That's, imagine what the zeal he had. He says, I understand exactly where they've gone wrong. I understand exactly what, what they've uh, mangled when it comes to the Old Testament. So he went around from synagogue to synagogue trying to set the record straight. He couldn't do it, though. Point B, from the book of Romans, Paul never lost sight of the Jew. Thinking through the gospel, from Paul's perspective, gives those of us with a Gentile background, and, and it should be an education, not and education, sorry for my note here. So if you look at Romans one seventeen, just at the very beginning of Romans... 1 and 17 says here, for in the gospel this is uh, Paul not being ashamed of the gospel of Christ because of the power of God to bring salvation to for everyone who believes, first to the Jew then to the Gentile verse 17, for in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed a righteousness that is by faith from first to last just as it is, it is written the righteous will live by faith, that's Habakkuk 2, four. Or is it four two? One of those. It's in the book of Habakkuk, and Paul is quoting, is knowing that his Jewish audience would know this information. And notice how he deals with this. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, and he's getting ready to talk about righteousness and understanding how we receive righteousness. In chapter three, how none of us are righteous—not even one, not even a Pharisee. (laughs) So, so Paul is. If you and I said this several times, I said, "Man, if you're if you're understanding the gospel from the perspective of a Jewish person, then you're really getting an education here." that's what's happening because knowing the issues that Jews have with the law and and understanding what God truly sees as righteousness is is enlightening for us it's enlightening for the Jew cuz remember if a Jew if this is meant to sway a Jew right it's definitely going to sway us think about it, it really should be called in point number C it really should be called the book of Hebrews because he really has been talking to Hebrews if you look back the whole time. It, given the most of it, dismantles Jewish thinking. That's what it does. It confronts the way they think. It takes it and reasons with it and tears it apart. Lays it bare. Romans three nineteen through 22 is a good example and there are many more. But we won't take time you could take time to look at some of the other thoughts romans 3 19 through 22 now we know that whatever the law says it says to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to god now you might say well this is that's not so profound yes it was jews didn't see that that the law was for that They thought that just by having the law, they knew they couldn't keep it perfectly, but just by having it, that they had favor with God. Verse 20, therefore, since that is really the purpose of the law, verse 20, therefore no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Wow. I mean, just imagine. For a Gentile, you're like, okay, we got you. For the Jew... That's profound. You can't. And he told you why. He didn't just say, well, this is my statement. He tells you why. He says, there's none righteous, not even one. All of, Are we any better, we Jews? No. All, and he proves that all of us are under sin. Then he gets down to this and he shows what the true purpose of the law is. And then he tells you, you can't, by keeping the law, be righteous before God. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Just like what we were talking about with the rich young ruler. By looking at the law, what should he have said? I'm a sinner. I'm condemned. But no, what does he say? Faultless. That's a problem. The the Jews had misconceptions all over the place. Remember, they were resisting the Holy Spirit. But now, apart from the law... The righteousness of God has been made known. What do you mean apart from the law? How can you just imagine if it was the Jewish person? What do you mean? This is how we get righteous is by keeping the law. What do you mean apart from the law? To which the law and the prophets testify. What testimony is this? And when we get to four, he's going to point out the testimony through Abraham. What, what did our forefather Abraham say? with regard to this. Abraham, believed God, it was credited to him for righteousness. And later he says, well, what, when, when did Abraham believe? Was was it before he was circumcised or after? It was before. Paul was uh, Abraham wasn't obedient in order to be justified. He was justified by faith. I mean, it's clear. I don't know what the Jew, Jewish mind would say to that. I remember we went through it in Romans four. I was like, "What would be their response?" I don't know. I would love to sit back, be quiet, and just listen to what their response would be to what Paul's arguments were there. So then he says, "We're to write verse 22, uh, The right, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. That settles it. If Gentiles who don't even have the law can be justified, then certainly it has nothing to do with the law. Yeah. There is so much there to think about. So we'll close. We're going to have to quit. But joy and pain in the same heart. So Paul says this, that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. So joy and pain in the same heart. While, while Paul had great joy because he was walking worthy of his calling and he knew who he was in Christ, it also left him with anguish in his heart for those who certainly could be saved but stubbornly refused. They were in the same boat he was. And if he saw the light saw the light he was on damascus road and that's what he saw was the light a flashing light he saw the light they could see it as well he wasn't he wasn't just somebody who was upset and and anguished all the time he was it was around this point he was upset because of his jewish countrymen that he loved he loved his people Christ loved the Jew as well. He says, Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, would I not have gathered you as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. That's one thing they loved was their country. God loves Jerusalem. He loves Israel, and he always will. Israel has a future. I, so, I like what it says in Romans at the 11. Here here we'll close with this one thought. He says, uh, as far as verse 28, as far as the gospel is concerned, they, he's talking about Israel, are enemies for your sake. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on the account of of the patriarchs for God's gifts and his call are irrevocable so there is this is God uh, showing that Israel will always have a place in his heart he called them for a purpose he will not take away or revoke what he has already spoken over Israel Israel does have a future so we're going to continue with this, but I wanted to set the tone so that we could at least understand how Paul is thinking about these things. Where's, from the context, What's where is he coming from? Hopefully we've accomplished that. And if not, please, um, you, we have time during Q&A, please raise some points so we can discuss it further. Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Father, for this time we've had this evening, we thank you for those who have taken time out of their busy schedules and devoted it to you, Father. We pray that we have used that time wisely and, and the fellowship that we've had in the Word has been fruitful. We thank you for your Word that's been preserved to us. It is not just here, but it is reliable. We can trust it, we can trust our lives to the Word. And we thank you for that. All of this we ask in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.
1: Amen. 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 Amen.